Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Cool hand Luke, under the gun, over the middle, it's caught, it's touchdown, it's Renard Bell. In his very first start. Here's Falk, throwing into the end zone, touchdown, Johnson Mack. Michael Preston. Oh, we didn't have to change the intro from the last show we did, and that's uh, it's a trifle disappointing, isn't it? Welcome back to Coop Center Hour after a week off, feeling rejuvenated after getting a little too busy last week to be able to do the show. We apologize again. It takes quite a while to cut this together, believe it or not. Uh, so just didn't have the time last week. We do this week, though, luckily. Jeff Nooser, not Nusser, Nooser. dad of Coop Center, going to join us later on to talk more extensively about this seven and two football team and it feels weird to say that doesn't it a seven and two football team and I look at it and I kind of go man I'm disappointed and I I said at the beginning of the year I thought they'd go seven and five because I thought there were issues at receiver and it turns out there kind of are a little bit and I wasn't too confident about the defense which before last week turned out to be completely unfounded uh assumption or analysis whatever you want to call it turned out to be complete bs but here we are again we're back where we were after the boise state game again and i thought luke falk had improved in fact i kind of dismissed that cal game as an aberration in that every single quarterback in the world is going to have a worst game of their career and that is not indicative of who they are as a quarterback and it's not an indicator about their actual true level of skill and it still isn't that game is still not a true level or indicator of Luke Falk's skill but it's looking more and more like sophomore and junior year Luke Falk was as good of a Luke Falk as we were going to get and that maybe those final three games from 2016 were more indicative of the type of quarterback he actually is than we thought it was at the time. But in that game against Arizona, I mean, yeah, the defense played to a level that was bad that we haven't seen them play so far this year. I mean, you know, Khalil Tate just won his fourth his fourth straight Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. So it's kind of like the guy's setting the world on fire and quite frankly should be in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy, even though he is only basically played, you know, four games. I mean, he, he really should be. If we're being serious about rewarding the best player in college football, I Khalil Tate's got to be up there with Saquon Barkley right now. He just, he just has to be. There's no way you can deny that. But I think the problem is, is we saw them go to Tyler Holinsky. And I, well, we'll get to the defense here in a little bit because 13 first downs for Arizona, something like that, right? And eight touchdowns. That's just not a very good combination. Um, but uh, the big thing we want to talk about, the thing we want to talk about is Falk and Holinsky. Falk and Holinsky because quarterback controversies or any kind of issues with the quarterback always drive traffic. They always drive people uh, to uh, to want to talk about things. So it's that's, that's what we do around here. We listen to the people. And it's also pointless to focus on anything else because all the time people say, I'm oh, focus on this, this, and this. And then they don't listen to the show because you're not talking about the one thing. It's all, it's all very complex and whatever. Anyway, I did, that was a stupid ramble. Uh, but I'm going to keep it in there because I'm real. Uh, I think the problem you have now is minus those 
very big mistakes Tyler Holinsky made in those interceptions. I know one went off Tay Martin's hands. But the big, big mistakes he was making, you see a guy who was not afraid to chuck the football around the field. He wasn't afraid to try to fit it into tight windows. He looks more like Connor Halliday. Now, for some people, that brings back fever dreams. I know it certainly does for me in some ways. Tyler Holinsky can use his legs much better than Connor Halliday could, so that's a very good thing from that standpoint. But I, I, it's been observed on the website this week. The authors have said it much on Twitter, and I agree. The, the, the bemoaning of the wide receivers not getting open for Luke Falk, that was an excuse. The wide receivers aren't getting open. They're not getting open. They're not providing open windows for him. And I get it. You don't have Gabe Marks. You don't have River Craycraft this year. You don't have two security blankets who were world beaters at their position in college. Gabe Marks is arguably the best receiver to ever come through WSU. I'm, you know, I again, an arguably, but he's at least in the top five at the very least. When you don't have those guys to fall back on anymore, I understand where you could, you know, you might start to struggle a little bit. But receivers aren't all of a sudden catching footballs in tight windows and all of a sudden getting more wide open just because Tyler Holinsky's in at quarterback. It's not like they see Luke Falk in the shotgun behind Frederick Maui Goa and they go, oh, well, I'm not going to try to get open until Tyler Holinsky comes in. That's not how this works. That's not how it works. They don't look at it like that. They're trying to get open for everybody because they want this offense to hum and move along. And Tyler Holinsky gave Washington State a lead against Arizona. Now, again, big mistakes. Big, 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 big drive-killing, game-killing mistakes. And that's bad, obviously. But the problem is, is when you take a guy, you look at a guy like Mike Leach and a head coach like Mike Leach, he wants the, fo- he wants the football to move. Because I, he racked up yards. Absolutely racked up yards against Arizona. There's, there's, there's no disputing, I think, that Tyler Holinsky moved the ball a hell of a lot better than Luke Falk did. There's just, there's just straight up no disputing that. Because he did. Take a look at the disparity here. Luke Falk threw 23 passes and got 93 yards of passing. That's like four yards of an attempt. Just over four yards an attempt. Tyler Holinsky threw 61 passes for 509 yards. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous how much he threw the football. And by the way, I don't want to hear about the no balance in the offense. The the running backs only ran it 10 times. Jamal Morrow caught 10 passes. That is balance in this offense. That is balance when the when the running backs are getting the football. That's balance. It it is. Okay? I'm I'm just that that's what it is. But I still believe you keep Luke Falk. He deserves to be the starter next week. He deserves to be the starter on senior day, if for no other reason than everything he's given this program and everything he's done for WSU in the last three seasons now. Pretty much the three full seasons with him at this point. If for no other reason than that, he deserves it. And he's going to be at home where he's more comfortable, obviously. And against the Stanford team, you know, they have a good defense. They have a good defense again, but one that he kind of threw all over last year. 
One that he was very good against in Palo Alto last year. As I'm looking up stats because I was so well prepared today. One that he did, he had a good game against last year. I know I worry about Stanford's very good pass rush, pass rush, but they're the 56th ranked defense on S&P right now, on S&P Plus. They just don't, they don't blow you away. They're bad against the rush. They're okay against the pass. They don't blow you away as this like dominant defense. Washington State's still 24th after last week's performance. And in fact, you know, obviously you're going to have Washington at the end of the year. Utah is number 43. So these are probably round about the three best defenses you're going to face all year in these final three games. Just about. But at the very least, Stanford still not a huge test. Pretty middle of the road in terms of their quality. So how do you respond? How does Luke Falk respond? Does he go out there and he just, you know, for lack of a better term, does he just see the field? Does he just bagger Vance it? Does he just see the field? Or I guess Juna or whatever his name was in that movie. Whatever Matt Damon's character was in that movie. Does he just do that? Or does he think about it too much again? Because I'll tell you one thing. You know, I again, outside of those big mistakes, Tyler Helinski looked like a quarterback that can run the air raid. If Luke Falk gets pulled again, that's it. You, you, you cannot pull a quarterback healthy because in theory he was healthy in the Boise State game when he got yanked out the first time. And he was healthy against Arizona when he got yanked. You can't bench a quarterback three times and then keep going back to him. I mean, you can if you're Mike Leach because Mike Leach doesn't really care what anybody thinks. But you you can't tell me you have confidence in his ability to get it done. You just can't. You can't tell me you have confidence in Luke Falk if you pull him for a third time. I, I, I really think that's, that, that is the long and short of it this week. This is the last chance. Utah is the last chance. UW, the last chance if he continues to play well. Because if he gets benched one more time this year, that's it. That is it. Period. Tyler Helinski showed he can move the ball. Not without some big mistakes. But he's also a redshirt sophomore. And he hasn't gotten the experience that Luke Falk got at this point in his redshirt sophomore year. Luke Falk had already started probably, I think, like, what, 10 games by this point? By the time he was a sophomore? Tyler Helinski hasn't started one. He's come in for cleanup duty, and this was his most extensive gameplay. But he showed you he could move the football. He showed you to the tune of 61 passes and over 500 yards through the air. Team still scored 37 points. And the big problem, obviously, is that you gave up 58 points to Arizona. The defense finally played just an absolute stinker of a football game. Now, Khalil Tate's Khalil Tate. He's, again, should be in the Heisman Trophy conversation at this point. 
How he has not been playing all year for Arizona, I have no idea. But in a year where I think a lot of people thought Arizona was going to be down and Rich Rodriguez was fighting for his job, this kid is single-handedly, single-handedly saving Rich Rodriguez's job. Like, all by himself. That's insane. But it's still not an excuse for these long runs to get ripped off. And again, where you only have, you only have like, what, 13 first downs? That's asinine. That's insane. Arizona had, Washington State had 32 first downs. Arizona had 13 with 585 yards of total offense. And they held the ball for 22 minutes. By the way, there's there's if you ever want to consider the the stat of time of possession, like like this end all be all, except in some very select cases, it isn't. Arizona scored 58 friggin' points and they held the ball for a third of the game. A third of the game. 13 first downs, they scored 58 friggin' points. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. Defense absolutely got their lunch eaten. Absolutely got their lunch eaten. Against a dynamic quarterback with a very good rushing attack. Absolutely nuts. Bryce Love probably going to play this week for Stanford. I mean, David Shaw's being all coy about it early in the week. But (laughs) he's going to play. You saw how bad they looked last week against Oregon State without him. And that was the Oregon State defense. A very not, a a very ungood defense. Had Stanford on the ropes. And Stanford was going to lose that football game had it not been Ryan, had it not been for Ryan Nall coughing it up. 30 yards from the end zone with under two minutes to go. Or like under three minutes to go. Something like that. End of the fourth quarter. Stanford was going to lose that football game. Should have lost that football game. If Bryce Love can like limp on that ankle, he's going to play. So you're probably getting a not as healthy Bryce Love. Stanford's quarterbacks don't scare me. They don't really have an offensive threat that scares me too terribly much. You still need to be at your, you know, I still would expect the defense to be cautious and to have a hard time dealing with the 19 offensive lineman formation Stanford will put out there. So cautious isn't the right word. But this seems to be a group that will come out and play with their hair on fire. Now the question is, is can the offense respond? Because for the first time in that Arizona game, really the offense did the legwork. You score 37 points, you kind of expect your defense to take care of the rest. And they did not. You expect your defense to take care of things after that. You expect them to be able to, you know, hold down the fort, so to speak. But they didn't. No one played exceptionally well on Saturday. And you needed it against Khalil Tate. Kid's a monster. <laughs> Flush it and forget it. Just like the Cal game. Flush it and forget it. Because you're going to come home to another another weather forecast that doesn't look good. It's during the day, thank God. 
Maybe the answer this whole time to getting day games was just to play like crap. Maybe that's the thing UW needs. Note to Chris Peterson, play like crap, get to play during the day on the Pac-12 Network. I mean, we're on Fox this weekend, but Pac-12 Network next week against Utah. So it's like two straight 12-30 and 2-30 game. That's brilliant. Love it. This is probably it for Luke Falk. If he gets pulled again, that's it. And I, I, at that point, wouldn't have a problem with moving on to Tyler Holinsky completely. And it's not a man, I, you know, I'm not going to be here to bash Luke Falk. And if it sounded like that, I'm sorry. I am eternally grateful for everything he's done for this school. But if what's most important is the success of the team and Tyler Holinsky makes this team more successful, then, well, it's how it's got to be. And it sucks a lot. But, and, and especially because I thought quarterback problems are the last thing we were going to have to think about this year. The last thing. It was still a 7-2 football team, number 25 in the country. But the last thing I thought we were going to have to think about. But we will on Saturday. Jeff Neusser joins us next. We'll go a little more in depth about it. We'll talk about it more with him. Coming up next on the Crimson Center Hour. We're joined now by Dad, not my dad, Kook Center's dad, Jeff Newser. Uh Hey, you're the one who called me Golden Throat the first time, so I, I just we're giving nicknames out. He's and and you're going to be eating uh, a lot of candy here soon, right? Because I we your kids are very patiently waiting for you to be done with this to go out trick or treating. So we appreciate the boys waiting, but you're you're going to fill up on Snickers and what? What is your favorite candy to fill up on on Halloween? Uh, I like Twix. And I like the and Kit Kat, and I like to put them in the fridge. Ooh, nice and cold. Why cold? Why do you like them cold? Well, frankly, the chocolate doesn't taste that good. So <laughs> <laughs> getting it getting it a little cold, kind of you know, a little crispy, and you know, I kind of like that. So. Well, there you go. Okay, so we have the hot candy takes out of the way before we get uh, quarterback takes here. I, I we spent about sixteen minutes in the intro, Jeff, just talking about. You know, I mean, what to make of this situation? You know, we spent some time on the defense too. It was a pretty inexcusable performance in terms of, you know, you're not you're not going to win a lot of games where your defense gives up points in the 50s, and I get that. But I I, I kind of had the thought that this game is kind of Luke Falk's final chance, and really all the rest of the three in the regular season are because if he gets pulled again, that's probably it for him, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'd assume so. Um, you know, I don't know what uh, you know. I don't know what Leach's plan going into this is. Um, you know, he sounded pretty emphatic that you know Falk's the guy, and uh, you know, which is is sort of weird because you know you you you've pulled him twice, and mm-hmm. you know normally that would be the sort of circumstance where there's a lot of 
public waffling, but of course this, you know, it's a really unique situation, right? I mean, it's a guy who <clears throat> owns a lot of records and is, uh, you know, one of the, you know, most decorated quarterbacks in a, in a school that's rich with quarterback history. So, um, you know, it's a very weird, unique situation. I'm sure part of it is, uh, you know, keeps coming back to this, a guy who, uh, you know, not only has done a lot of things, but, you know, everybody presumes, you know, he had a chance to leave last year to go to the NFL and he chose not to, whether that was totally realistic or not. I don't know. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if, you know, if he ever sought out a draft grade or quietly asked around for some stuff, but the perception is this is a guy who, you know, decided to come back to, to try and be awesome for his, uh, for his school. And, you know, and so there's this sense, I think, of loyalty. And I know Leach is, uh, you know, Leach is a pretty loyal guy. And, and you know, he kind of, you know, he's a reputation for, you know, for competition and, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Every Everything's a competition, you know, whatever. But uh, but I think, you know, I think when it comes down to it, it sure looks like he's got uh, he's got a little bit of a soft spot for Falk. Um, you know, of all the things that, you know, of all the units that have had problems this year from time to time, um, you know, he said some pretty harsh things about all of them, um, except for Falk, to be honest, you know, yeah. when, uh, he's been pulled twice and both times it's been, well, you know, I wanted to, wanted to see, I mean, I think the, the closest he got was I wanted him to see how easy it was. Like, I think, I mean, really, I think that was the most critical he got. He, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't rip into him. He doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't embarrass him in public, you know, it's, and, and I think that's, you know, I think that's, I think a pretty decent, um, gauge of how Leach feels about him. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he decided to go with him again. Um, but man, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens if Falk comes up with a stinker. Let's uh, mm-hmm. let's just hope he doesn't, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's obviously the hope, and I think I think the misconception's been around a lot of this talk around you know Falk or Holinsky or whoever is that it's people ripping on Falk. I don't think it's a matter of that. It's it's a trite platitude to say, well, I obviously want the kid to do well and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong and I'm happy I'm wrong, but it's also that, you know, he's he's just not been the quarterback he was during his sophomore season and most of his junior season. You've been watched every game and I trust you and Brian and all those guys a hell of a lot more than I trust myself. Uh, in terms of evaluating a quarterback, is it really just between his ears right now? Because the physical tools, you know, they don't they don't just up and disappear. It's got to be something in between his ears, isn't it? Yeah, I tend to think so. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you look at a guy who, you know, piled up some pretty, pretty awesome numbers at, at one time and, you know, really looked good early. Um, you know, there's just, there's just something in his head that's, um, keeping him from, you know, either taking risks or, or whatever. I mean, I honestly don't know what it is. Um, you know, what I do know is that you know our fans really laud the, the lack of interceptions, and they they try to characterize it as sort of this binary thing. Like, I'd rather have a guy who holds the ball than a guy who throws a bunch of interceptions. Um, you know, I don't think it necessarily has to be that binary. But but I mean, even beyond that, I don't, you know, I don't think that, you know, you can ever really run the air raid the way it's supposed to be run and never throw an interception right you know, not you know the way i think falk really runs it really cautiously it's you know it's brian anderson put it you know it's like it's like taking a ferrari out of the garage and leaving it in second gear you know the whole time you're out like you're driving it but you're not really driving it you yeah know? And, 
Um, and so I tend to think that that, yeah, that is sort of between the ears. And, you know, I mean, I think it's we don't have to speculate a whole lot on what's going on on the field when quite simply, you know, two times a different guy comes in and two times all of a sudden it gets better. And that's not, you know, it's a, sometimes with backup quarterbacks, you got to speculate, you know, different teams, different situations, mm-hmm. you know, different whatever as you try to figure out, you know, who's the better player. Um, in this case, you know, you had one guy leave and you had another guy come in and both times. Um, it suddenly looks like guys are open. It suddenly looks like there are throws to be made. It's, and, and I don't think that anything, I mean, same personnel on both sides of yeah. the ball except for one guy. So, you know, it's that leads me to believe, it, it, you know, it's between the ears. It leads me to believe there's there's just something in his head that, you know, is not allowing him to cut loose. And, you know, whatever that is, I don't know. Um, I do know that, you know, two years ago when he was making all those fourth quarter comebacks that he was really at his best when his back was against the wall and really at his best when uh, he had no option but to really just cut it loose and go. Um, Mm. Hopefully he views this obviously on a – it's on a larger scale, right? It's not, you know, the micro level of a fourth quarter of a tight game. But, you know, on a macro level, hopefully he looks at it as sort of like, hey, my back is against the wall and it's now or never. And I just got to like cut it loose and quit thinking mm-hmm. and just throw the stupid ball well because you i know you've talked about you've talked about this in the past and i think tyler holinsky is a little bit more of a an analogous quarterback to connor halliday certainly than luke falk is although i like i said in the opening that holinsky has the legs connor halliday didn't have but it's it in a guy you know connor halliday was kind of viewed as reckless in this offense through a lot of interceptions but the one thing he had going for him i know you described this before is that he didn't care if he threw an interception the possession before he was going to come back out and he was going to throw the same damn ball over again because he was going to beat you he was convinced of it and i think part of that mock you have to have kind of a little bit of that moxie to run this offense and falk is just being very cautious about not wanting to turn the ball over which is good but like you said in this offense you're going to throw interceptions just based on the sheer volume of passes you're throwing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's and, – and, you know, as I'm, I'm working on a piece right now kind of about this whole topic, but, you know, one thing I'm going to put in there is, you know, if you're running this offense, if you're not throwing interceptions, you're not really trying. Like, that's – and, I, you know, it's interesting because all of our – you know, we have so few frames of reference for – um, air raid quarterbacks at Washington State because Mike Leach has basically had two of them, right? Yeah. I mean, it's basically Connor Halliday, Luke Falk, and that is that has spanned like all you know whatever it is now six seasons, yeah. right? Seven mm-hmm. seasons basically. Um, Jeff Toole was kind of sorta in there that first. No, that that was, that was it. that was a whole lot of jumping in between and off the bench right. on the field, whatever. Yeah, and it was a total mess. And so the, you know, there's nothing there to evaluate in that regard. But it's like. You know, because of that, I think Connor Halliday constantly is our frame of reference. When people pay attention to what went on at Texas Tech, you know, all of a sudden the frame of reference changes a little bit. It's like we compare guys, are they more like Luke Falk or are they more like Connor Halliday? And I go, well, Connor Halliday is a lot like all of the quarterbacks that Mike Leach had at Texas Tech. Yeah. Like that's the air raid quarterback. That is what it is. And, you know, people say, you know, reckless, and obviously Helensky was way too reckless with the ball on Saturday. You know, I mean, there's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. 
but it's sort of like, you know, people act like, you know, if you're running the air raid, you, you better not be throwing interceptions. I mean, I just pulled up Graham Harrell's stats from Texas Tech really quick. Here's how many interceptions he threw in, it looks like, 45 starts. He threw 34 interceptions in 45, or 45 games, sorry. Yeah. Not even starts, 45 games. So about 39 starts, it looks like, 40 starts. You know, through 34 interceptions over those last three seasons at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. In his huge season, 2007, the one that's like the gold standard Mike Leach season, right? That's the year they, they beat Texas, yep. and they're like, okay, they get up to number two or whatever. Finishing the he top threw, ten, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he threw 14 picks that year. Yeah. But he also threw 5,700 yards yeah. and 48 touchdowns. I mean, it's like – that's the trade-off. You know, the, the goal isn't to throw 30 touchdowns and five interceptions. The goal is to throw 50 touchdowns and 15 interceptions, right? Yeah. You know, I think the average air raid line should be, if you're having a good season, you should be throwing, you know, like four touchdowns and one interception a game. That's really what it should average. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of the cost of doing business. When you're going to throw the ball that many times, it's going to happen. You know, yeah. people don't talk about the fumbles when people are running the ball. You know, it's like they yeah. only like to talk about interceptions as if that's some sort of like magical problem. Um, you know, if you're averaging eight yards a pass and you're throwing four touchdowns a game, yeah, I can live with it with an interception. So that should really be the goal yeah. for a guy like Kalinsky should be, okay, you get down to that one interception a game mark, you know, you, you try to squeeze the ball in there and it gets picked off or gets tipped and picked off or whatever. But you know, that happens. And then I think the other thing that you mentioned is is actually really important. You know, yeah, when you look at his line, you go, ooh, two, two touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, right? But he also scored two touchdowns with his legs. And I think you're kind of – like anybody who looks at this and doesn't acknowledge that I think is remiss. You know, I think you really have to look at it as, you know, 500 yards passing, four touchdowns, four interceptions. And it's like, yeah, is that about two intercept, three, two or three interceptions too many? Yes, two fewer interceptions maybe we've actually got a chance in that game i mean i think i think you can make kind you can of probably make the argument there, yeah especially right? since one uh, one got house so you can make the argument yeah. yeah so you know i mean i think you know the interceptions don't have to be killer especially if you've got a defense like we've got you know they don't have to be killer as long as you're not throwing pick sixes mm-hmm. as long as you're not throwing them in the end zone as long as you're not giving up a short field you know those kinds of things that put you in a bad position you know, you can live with that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's I'm excited about how about uh, Halinski. Um, you know, I feel like he's in the mold of your typical Mike Leach air raid quarterback, and and he's going to be fun to watch. Hopefully, hopefully Luke Falk makes it so that we don't see him again this year. I want to talk about the defense in a minute because you brought that up, and you know, a good enough defense, but and they played horribly on Saturday. But when uh, Khalil Tate, I said earlier that he needs to be in the Heisman conversation. That kid's just so insanely good. But uh, we'll get to that in a second. I want one more thought on this because I, I, I've wondered, is it a, you know, not only is it between the ears for Luke Falk, is it a comfort thing for him? Because you lose Gabe Marks, you lost River Craycraft against Cal last year. He obviously didn't come back uh, the rest of that season. And he's playing with guys. He it seems like he's gotten a little more comfortable with Tavares Martin and Isaiah Johnson Mack and Tay Martin as the year has gone on. But he just doesn't seem to have that comfort blanket, you know, that he, he knew that no matter what, I can look and find this guy and I can just put the ball in the area and he's probably going to go get it for me. He just doesn't feel like he has that this year. He may not really actually have it since Robert Lewis got hurt, but is that, do you think that's part of the problem? Just that cycle, you know, again, it's, it's all between the years, but also that I just don't have this one guy I know I can depend on to go get the football. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think there's actually a couple of different explanations you could come up with on that. I mean, one is what you said, which is, hey, these guys were his security blanket. He trusted where they were going to be. He trusted, you know, that they were going to make a play, you know, those kinds of things. You know, but in maybe the flip side of that is that, you know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but, you know, maybe the flip side of that is that, you know, rather than being, you know, really good at, at diagnosing, um, you know, where the open spot on the field was going to be, mm-hmm. uh, he got really good at just trusting that these guys were going to get open. And, you know, that's a little bit of a different deal in terms of reading the defense and, you know, now those guys are gone and, you know, you saw on Sunday or Saturday that, you know, Holinsky was thrown to his outside receivers a ton. You know, those were the guys he was targeting over and over and over again. It was, you know, Tavares Martin. It was Isaiah Johnson back. It was Desmond Patman. It was Tay Martin, right? Like all these guys, mm-hmm. the two top two guys on the outside, they got the lion's share of the targets. So, you know, sometimes I wonder a little bit if maybe because those guys aren't there that he doesn't trust necessarily to get open you know just sort of one-on-one you know now he's tasked with really diagnosing the whole thing and figuring out where the open spot is on the field and maybe maybe that's just not his strong suit I mean I don't know you know it's Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean I think there's I think you can clearly look at a cause and effect thing you can clearly say you know when Marks and Craycraft were in there it was like this and when Craycraft left and went like this and now that Marks and Craycraft are gone and went like this yeah it's entirely possible it's just you know it's tough to say exactly exactly what it was mm-hmm. and you know we know like i said you know we've seen Olinsky do it twice we know it's not an issue or at least it doesn't make any logical sense that nobody's open when folks in there because they are magically open when Olinsky comes in yeah. so like i said i you know i hope i hope you know he feels that sense of desperation this week um weather notwithstanding right but, yeah um, i hope he feels that sense of desperation i hope he feels like look he's got four games to finish this thing the right way i know that everybody's rooting for him i mean oh, I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I i do not think there is one and, and this is like not normal right i mean you know this i mean it's, it is not normal for quarterback things like this for everybody to be on the starter's side normally everyone wants the backup right mm-hmm. like and and I mean I have yet to see a comment on our site. I have yet to I mean even on freaking Facebook I have yet to yeah. see a comment <laughs> where people are calling for the backup. I mean yeah. everybody literally everybody wants him to succeed. And yep. and so I really really hope he does. I you know I, I think he I, I I just think it would be a shame if his career ended um, without the kind of send off that that I would really like for him to have. Yep, I think I agree with that. I, I think I tried to make that point earlier. Didn't say it as eloquently as you, but it's just it's not a case where we don't want him to succeed. I think everybody wants this kid to go out with a bang, and we all really desperately want it for him. But if it's not going to work, it it's just not going to work. And the old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So it's you know I want it to work out for him, and hopefully it's not snowing that hard Saturday. Uh, let's move on to the defense here real quick. Uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, yeah. bad. Yeah, I don't know. Should we just? Uh, yeah, there? I mean, well, you know, I do a laugh track. For yeah, uh, next couple minutes know, against Cal. Uh, you know, a lot of short fields from some bad special teams play and some turnovers left him with short fields. So I kind of understood it there. Uh, and and while you want to say you just flush that performance away because it was just a stupidly huge outlier. At the same time, Khalil Tate just absolutely shredded them 
on the ground and through the air. And what was it? It was eight scores on 13 first downs. I mean, that's a, that's a ratio you're probably never going to see again. And is it easy to just say you need to flush it away and forget about that because I'll never be that bad again? Or is that, uh, well, I kind of got exposed for some weaknesses there and we kind of need to be at least a little bit worried about it. Well, I'd be a lot more worried if we were facing Khalil Tate again. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, I'd be a lot more worried if, uh, if we were facing anybody who was even remotely like that, but I mean, he's special, you know, and then I'm actually, you know, right. You're kind of like segueing into like the stuff that I'm trying to finish up for my Monday after column now that it's Tuesday, but, (laughs) um, you know, it's, it's, I I mean, he's special and, you know, Brian Anderson and I were talking about it on Sunday, like, like what Arizona did, if we're trying to compare it to something, it looks like what Oregon had under Mariota. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what it looks like. You know, they spread you, they put stress on you all over the place. And when you've got a quarterback who's a threat, like a true threat with both his legs and his arm, he's a game breaker with his legs and he's excellent with his arm. Then, I mean, basically what you're left with is a series of one-on-one matchups everywhere. And all it takes is, and and I say one-on-one matchups, that also includes, you know, like linemen and linebackers. And, and safeties being in, you know, their run fits, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's basically a one-on-one matchup. You have to stay in your gap or be in the right spot. And it's like, you know, my God, like one guy gets out of position and boom, you know, 50 yards later, touchdown. It's like, and it, that's what Oregon used to do, right? You know, mm-hmm. and so it, it's, it, it's uh, when, when you're not playing it, you can be, you know, you can admire it when it's your team that's getting, you know, hacked to death by, you know, the, this machete over and over again. Yeah. And that's, um, that's less fun. But, you know, I, I, because of all of that, I'm like, okay, well, we don't play them again. You know, and we don't play anything even remotely resembling that for yeah. the rest of the year. Again, unless we somehow win the last three games and end up facing Arizona in the Pac-12 championship, which, you know, is certainly mathematically possible right yes and so you know i mean this week you're facing you know maybe bryce love i imagine he'll play i would expect he would yeah yeah so you're facing you know probably bryce love and a terrible quarterback right yeah you're fate and then the following week you're facing a pretty so-so quarterback in huntley and the following week you're facing jake browning who is okay but i think we're i think everybody is finally coming around to the idea that he had some players around him last year who made him look very, very good. And so, you know, and certainly none of those guys are threats to run in the way that Khalil Tate is. You know, Huntley's a yeah. bit of a dual threat. And Browning can run. But it's like, they're not Khalil Tate, you know. And, and so it's, you know, the, the inherent, the flaws in whatever scheme we had on Saturday, I just don't see the, any of those teams being able to, like, really take advantage of that i mean we've faced quasi-mobile quarterbacks this year we've faced spread offenses this year i mean we have we have faced those things and none of them have given us the kind of trouble that khalil tate did mm-hmm. khalil tate is you know taking a torch to everything in college football right now yeah and it doesn't matter if you're cal or ucla or colorado or washington state he is just lighting you on fire and laughing as the gasoline you know just kind of trails off behind him i mean it's <laughs> you know he's yeah. he's just doing something totally different and we don't have to face that again so yeah i mean i think it's a it's a you know it's highly likely that we weren't as good of a defense as it seemed from the stats 
especially the raw stats. But, you know, I also think, you know, we're still a very good defense that's not as bad as 50 points at the hands of Khalil mm-hmm. Tate looks like. Yeah. So I'm not super – I'm not stressing out about the next three games. I mean, they'll be tough. I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, God's sakes, you know, Stanford fans don't come troll me on Twitter because I said I'm not scared of Stanford. I mean, I'm just like – I'm just saying, you know, I think we all can agree. They're not Khalil uh, Tate. Stan- yeah. Stanford and it's whatever, 16 points it scored against – or 17 points – it scored against Oregon State. You know, it's probably not Arizona. No. Right. So, no. you know, I not mean, as good. Whatever. Yes. Like, not you as know good. what I mean? Like you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't have to worry about someone running and throwing the ball because Keller right. Christ is not a very good quarterback. So you can key right. in on Bryce Love, and if you can generally stop that, you generally yep. have them stopped. And they've shown they can do that in the past. They did it last year against Christian McCaffrey. They did it this year against Philip yep. Lindsay in similar weather that you'll see Saturday. So yes, yep. I, I, we just, picking up what you're putting tend- down. Yeah, we tend to do pretty well against teams that we can make one-dimensional. Arizona, we obviously could not do that. No. You know, and, and you know, so if we can make teams one-dimensional, I think we still do okay. You know, I don't I don't know. I still feel pretty – I still feel good about this defense. I still believe in them. We're not injury mm-hmm. depleted except for linebackers. But, you know, those guys are getting experience every game. And, you know, I still feel good about where they're at. I just think that Arizona is, is uh, you know, playing football on another level right now. They're mm-hmm. doing it very simply. You know, if you looked at Jesse and, and Brian's posts from last week, they're not doing anything crazy complicated. They're just, you know, so talented everywhere right now and led by a guy who um, can beat you in so many ways that, you know, they're just different. And yeah. I don't I think it's a little bit of a folly to try and apply whatever happened on Saturday to something going forward that's going to look nothing like that. You mentioned it a little bit. I want to leave you with this question. Uh, how much do you think people, and I, I mean, I'm guilty of this too, are underrating the fact that you're without Peyton Pelour, you're without Isaac Dotson, you're without Nate DeRider, you've you've lost a lot of talent linebacker. I think Jahad Woods is going to be an excellent linebacker. He's played well so far this year. Uh, Justice Rogers has had his struggles, as you would expect for freshman. He's played well at times too. Uh, it, how much are we underrating the fact that they they realistically they've lost three of their starting linebackers, including Peyton Pelour, who was a leader of that defense for the season? Well, I mean, I think that I think there are some games where you can get away with it, and I think there are other games where you can't. And I think Arizona was one of those games. I mean, it, you know, a lot of what happened had to do with uh, blown assignments. You know, had to do with bad fits or whatever. Um, you know, having those two guys in there, it, you know, what I mean, who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have changed things because, mm-hmm. you know, those uh, particularly Paluers not nearly as fast as Woods. So, you know, maybe that changes things. I don't know. Um, Dotson, I tend to think, had Dotson been playing next to Woods, that might have made a pretty big difference because I think Rogers got picked on a couple times. And, yeah. Um, you know, and that happens. I mean, he'll, you know, <laughs> he's a he'll freshman grow. he'll learn he'll figure it out you yeah. know and so i think there are some games where it really matters and i think there are other games where it matters less and you know and i think we saw um you know against colorado it was fine you know we saw you know earlier you know usc it worked out okay i mean i know uh you know in that game um you know woods was sort of taking the lead but it's like you know you see you know it worked out okay in other spots it's just you know in a game like that you know, the, the unique challenge that Arizona presents for you um, because of what Tate can do, mm-hmm. the explosive nature of his running. It's not just that he can run. It's that he can run away from everyone. Well, apparently, except for Jalen Thompson. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, he can run away from everyone. Right. So it's, it's not just the fact that he can run. It's the fact that he can run 
past you and beyond you. And then what he can do with his arm, just getting over the top when, because you're going to have a lot of isolated one-on-one matchups because you're bringing guys up to try and stop the run. And when you can throw the ball like that in those one-on-one matchups and complete them consistently, I mean, it's just a unique challenge. And so, you know, I think this weekend will be better. I think it'll, it'll be interesting. You know, Stanford likes to uh, run a bunch of linemen at the point of attack. And so that's going to be sort of the interesting part is, you know, are they going to be strong enough? Are they going to be stout enough um, at the point of attack to take on some blockers and, and get up in there and get Bryce Love down? And um, I don't know that experience is, is a substitute there, so I don't know that things would be better. Maybe Dotson will be back. I don't know. Um, I tend to think that maybe this is a year-long thing. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But, you know, I, I think, you know, if we can get Dotson back, I think that's a huge boost. Um, if we don't, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if, if these guys can uh, can stand up to the to the pounding that they're going to face on Saturday. You'll take the kids out, get some candy, and uh, fill up on them. Twi- do they do any other different flavors of Twix anymore? Because my grandma used to have like 19 different flavors of Twix just in her closet, which also explains why I got so fat in elementary school. Like, do, are they just like the normal Twix, or do they do different flavors anymore? I don't know. I've only ever seen the one, I think. Oh, really? Recently? Well, recently. Maybe my maybe so, my maybe my I'm, grandma had like a special order in with them or something. So, okay. So I will have to I will have to update you on Slack after tonight. Yes. And then you can you can update your uh, your faithful listeners. Yeah, we'll we'll bring you on for a Friday. We'll do a little Friday quick show update on Twix. Take a god, I can hear him screaming. Take him out. Jeff News around the Coop Center hour. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. for taking valuable time out of his very busy schedule. He's very busy. He has three kids. I can't imagine a time when he's not busy. Um, about once a year, I like to do a good old rip into the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletics Association. Every, every year, I like to do that. Just once. Athletic Association, not athletics, whatever. Uh... Braxton Beverly, you probably don't know the name. You may have. The story this week uh, came out. He was a commit to Ohio State, enrolled in some summer classes this past summer. And then Thad Mata got fired in June, of course, and another coach rehired. Pretty dismal recruiting class, so he asked for his release and was granted it by Ohio State, as they should do. Um, And he decided to transfer to North Carolina State. Wanted to play immediately. And the NCAA went ahead and said, no, you can't because you enrolled in summer classes at Ohio State, so you have to sit a year. Now, he does have a red shirt available to him, so that's fine, but I want to avoid talking about that because in the context of 
whether this rule is fair or not, a red shirt is inconsequential, right? Because even though he, even if he did have it, have it, and he does, it would not make this rule any less fair or any more fair. Rather, it's still ridiculously unfair because it, it for me it comes it comes back to this thing, and you know, Braxton Beverly is just he's just another pawn in this for the NCAA because their rules are so ass nine and archaic it's not even funny if Braxton Beverly was a normal student didn't play on a varsity athletic team at Ohio State and he decided to enroll in summer classes before the fall semester I realize how rare this is but he decided to enroll in summer classes before the fall semester started and then say, you know, he just wanted to go to North Carolina State for whatever reason instead. Maybe his girlfriend's going there. You know, that's the dumbest thing. If there are kids listening, anybody in high school listening to this, never go to the same college that your, that your girlfriend or boyfriend in high school is going to just because you want to follow them because you're going to be miserable and you're going to break up. If he were a normal student, he would be allowed to transfer no penalty. No issue. And to a certain extent... There's no penalty here because he'll obviously be allowed to take classes at North Carolina State, the same any other ordinary student would. But because he's an athlete, not only could Ohio State have restricted where he transferred to, they did not good on them for doing that. He cannot play the sport because he enrolled in summer classes, probably at the behest of Ohio State. Because as with every other athletic program, they like to get their athletes on campus early and get them training. And I get that. But when the coach is fired and the school grants you an unconditional release, it kind of doesn't square with me that the NCAA can then come in and say, well, yeah, that's fine, but... I mean, and here's the deal. You can't play basketball this year. Why? Why can't he? It, it, it Because it's stupid, and the rule is archaic and dumb. But it's par for the course with the NCAA. It's completely par for the course with NCAA. With the NCAA. And so now this kid is the one who is stuck in the lurch. He wanted to play basketball this year. I have no idea if he's good enough as a freshman or not to play. I have no idea if he'll crack the depth chart at NC State or if he would have or not. But again, just like the fact that he has a red shirt available to him, it doesn't matter in this context. If all he did was enroll in some classes at Ohio State, never set foot on the floor for Ohio State in a basketball game. Never took part in a basketball game. Ever at Ohio State. All he did was enroll in June and transferred later that summer. That's all he did. Maybe a practice here or there, whatever. But literally, all he did, as far as the NCAA is concerned, is he enrolled in some classes. And that's good enough for them to say, no, you cannot play this year, you have to sit a year. That is absolutely asinine. There is no good reason why a kid who just enrolled in classes was granted an unconditional release and is able to transfer wherever the hell he wants to go after the head coach he signed up to play for was fired in the summer. Why can't he leave and go play wherever he wants to whenever he wants to? 
He is a student, and that is the word that comes first in this. And again, I understand he's not restricted from taking classes in North Carolina State. It's not like the NCAA saying he can't play doesn't keep him from taking classes, which he should be doing. However, it is still remarkably stupid. What's the point in punishing this kid? What's the point? Because you are punishing him by not allowing him to play basketball. Just... What's the point? What what good does this do if you're the NCAA? What goodwill does it create that we care about our student-athletes? There's been no underhanded crap going on here. It's not like NC State probably didn't just like feed the kid money to come transfer to Raleigh. I mean, Christ almighty. He's a student, and yes, he's allowed to transfer like every other one, but because he's got this athlete tag, special things need to happen for him to be able to do it. Every single, it seems like month, we get another story of the NCAA's ineptitude, the North Carolina getting away with some of the shadiest crap you'll ever see a school do to keep athletes eligible and on the football field. Ah, yeah, no, don't worry about it. Totally cool. You guys are in the clear on that one. Oh, this kid who enrolled in summer classes at Ohio State and was granted his unconditional release to transfer to NC State? No, you got to sit here. That uh, that doesn't mesh with us in our transfer rules. (laughs) It would be so much easier to tolerate the NCAA. It would be if they were just consistent. Just be consistent about how you punish, about how you, you know, you look at transfer cases. And in each case, it's its own individual case. I understand that. And everything has to be taken on an individual basis. But it just, it really seems like in this case, you could have bent the rule a little bit and gone, you know what? Yeah, he just enrolled in some classes. No biggie. You can play right away. But no. Letter of the law. Letter of the law. And I suppose what I'm saying by saying, you know, I wish the NCAA were more consistent is that they should create more letter, you know, create better, clearer rules for punishment or, you know, for eligibility or whatever. But again, there's just there's no consistency. So if you're going to bend the rules a little bit, you need to do it consistently. If you're going to follow the rules, you need to do it consistently. And they don't. They don't. It's absolutely stupefying but don't worry once he's eligible to play at North Carolina State and if the Wolfpack are lucky enough to make it to the NCAA tournament the NCAA will have no problem profiting off of his participation in their most lucrative postseason tournament ever but just make sure he doesn't play one year because he enrolled in some freaking summer classes at Ohio State Ask Michael anything. Dunderhead of the week coming up next.
Dunderhead of the week time. Before we get to ask Michael anything, uh, I have a complaint to lodge. So excuse me while I while I move to get onto my front porch so I can yell at kids on my lawn here. Why is Halloween candy so damn expensive? It's the people at Big Candy. They're ripping you off. Damn, I can buy it in November, but it's going to be bad by next October. And how am I supposed to remember to buy it earlier in the spring? I'm not, I'm not sitting here planning for one night in October like, Ooh, better get this candy because it'll be good for six months and I'll forget where I keep it. It'll melt where, you know, in the freaking utility closet where I keep it. But no, we got to jack the prices up all of October because everybody's going to buy candy to hand out on Halloween to all the very adorable little children walking around in the costumes. They look so cute. I just want to pinch your little cheeks. They look so cute. No, the people at Big Candy fleecing you. Absolutely fleecing you. And it's a worldwide frigging conspiracy. Mars. Mars. The, the same company who owns them all. Nestle. All the world. That's why there's all the candy bars controlled by so few companies. And you jack the prices up. It, it's like that King of the Hill episode where the propane prices go up. It's price fixing. That's what it is. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of paying all this money to big candy people. Stay woke. Ask Michael anything. Whew. I got that off my chest. I paid a lot of money for a bag of candy today. I wasn't very happy about it. At Ben Wyman, Ben Wyman. Halloween theme. Per the two-question kooks are our rule. We do have a rule. Best Halloween costume you've ever had in top three Halloween candies. Uh, I go Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Dots. I love Dots. I know it's irrational. I know it's stupid, but... Come at me. Uh, and I really like Starburst, too. Something light and uh, fruity, even though it's not real fruit. Uh, the best Halloween costume I've ever had. I dressed up as Paul Wolf my senior year. Got a polo, some khakis, nice too tight hat to put on. And my roommate said, nobody's going to know who you are when we walk outside. Walk outside our apartment. First guy that sees me. No idea who this guy is. He's just walking past the sidewalk. He goes, hey, you're dressed up like Paul Wolf." Some other people at the party didn't like it very much. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're Paul Wolf." I hate you. Ugh. At State of Liberty 5, MJ Vega. Same questions last week. What are some non-conference teams that you hate the most? Uh, Ohio State, because my whole family went to Michigan. Don't like Ohio State, even though I gave them some compliments in the last segment, or a couple segments ago there. Uh, Penn State, if you watch, there's a Netflix, or a documentary on Netflix. Uh, it's Happy Valley in title. I can't remember the exact name, but look it up on Netflix. You'll learn to dislike Penn State after kind of the aftermath of the Jerry Sandusky Joe Paterno stuff there it's really not uh, not very pleasant Boise State just the inflated sense of self-importance and always thinking they're going to replace us in the Pac-12 and not a big fan of that uh, either other than that I don't really you know SEC fans for the superiority complex even though they are really good I don't know I, I guess that would be the easy thing uh, at Chivon Jivon Ryan Riley I'm amazed I got that right wow uh, what are your thoughts on Halinski coming in and what do you think of the job he did? We already kind of went over that. Uh, also, favorite Halloween memory. Love the podcast. Well, I'm glad you like it. Uh, favorite Halloween memory. Uh, honestly, it sounds stupid, but just going uh, the Alderwood Mall. I don't know if they still do it, but they did a, uh, you know, you could go around all the stores and get candy. And because we lived in uh, Woodenville, kind of east of downtown where there were no sidewalks or anything, we never got to go trick-or-treating as a kid. 
So we'd go to the mall and get it, and you could always get like the really generous store managers who you could tell got a big stipend from like their head offense to get out a lot more candy. I would, my dad used to figure out which one it was, and we'd circle back around to that one pretty frequently and only got caught every once in a while. Uh, trying to double dip, so to speak. At BT White 22, Ben White, if WSU named the Martin Stadium field after somebody, who would you want it named after? Somebody uh, mentioned Steve Gleason. That seems like a really good one to me. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it needs, you know, kind of a big alumni who's done, you know, grandiose things after graduating. I think Steve Gleason probably a pretty good. Uh, candidate there, uh, the Elson S. Floyd Field. We already have a medical school named after him. I think it's got you know it's got to be somebody you know. Obviously Drew Bledsoe and uh, has, has been fine after graduation. Nothing he's done wrong, obviously, but just kind of you know that big grandiose. It's nice to have the name really kind of mean something. At C underscore Raj six favorite movie to watch on Halloween from Cody Rogers. I I work on Halloween, so I don't and I hate scary movies. So I'll just say Blazing Saddles. I really like it. Uh, at WSU Brady 27, Brady H. Senior day, these guys have led a resurgence of our program to where we're frustrated at 2-7. and seven. Yes, we are. Who gets the loudest thank you cheers? Probably Luke Falk, I would think. Or Jamal Morrow. Probably Gerard Wicks, too, will get some big ones. Those would be two I would expect to get some pretty big cheers. Cody O'Connell, too, will probably get a big one uh, as well. Uh, at Hendu Manchu, Blackie. His name's Kenneth. Uh, will Luke take his time by the tunnel, survey the field, and get sacked? Before walking out with his parents. <laughs> yes, and his head will hit the turf pretty violently, too. We'll see you in Pullman on Saturday. Hopefully, please God, cool down in snow on the Coop Center Hour.